It's Monday. Yeah. It's morning. Yeah. And it's season four <gasps> of Monday Morning Macabre. The season premiere, premiere, premiere. Premier. Guys, we're so glad you've tuned into the season premiere of Monday Morning Macabre. We just finished signing the contracts, and they immediately shoved microphones back into our faces. That was in the contract. Said, yeah, we said, we're not signing unless you got some sick mics that are slapping our face. So grab your popcorn. Grab your popcorn. Grab your friends. Cut a hole in your friends. Put the popcorn in the hole. And enjoy <laughs> for this new holiday sweet treat. Yes. Um, welcome back. Thank you so much for it's four seasons. TikTok recipe. Four seasons of 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 whatever this is. <laughs> We're in the winter. Ooh, winter's coming, winter dude. Morning, morning, We're here. Winter's already here, dude. Dude, remember how good seven seasons of Game of Thrones was? Yeah, and everyone was like, yo, I don't know about this last one, especially when all the battles are in complete darkness. The showrunners were like, we quit. <laughs> yeah, they're like, yo, but Disney, though. <laughs> uh, so that's going to be us. We're going to get a... Oh, are you? Oh, <laughs> We're going to get a uh, Disney sponsorship in this podcast. We'll die. Excellent. Um, George R. R. Martin the w- said the next Game of Thrones book is actually coming out next year. I don't know if I believe him, but he said it's wildly different from the television show. And I was well, like, what a dickhead move to tell the television people how to do it. And then people <laughs> didn't like it. And he's like, he's like he uh, yeah, he literally he's, was like, okay, you, you guys go, you guys go around the corner first. And then they got blown the hell up. He's like, I'm going to go this like, way. <laughs> he's like, All right, I'm, I'm a, yeah, I'm a piece out this way. Really big brain of him. Biggest um, brain. Honestly, maybe the I one think of the he's biggest waiting brains. to die before he releases the last one. He, I think so he he's like face consequences. Ang- yeah, I think he's too anxious about it, and he's like, "I'll do the Tolkien way and just die before it's finished." Yeah, on God or the Wheel so of man. Time way. So I'm trying to live life, dude. Yeah, the I last step. Gotta- I am definitely gonna be dead before the last episode of Monday Morning Macabre. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I will be in the dirt, daddy. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna have to. Yo, be sick though. If then we Yo, go like, I'm gonna the, be like the the remake route where like uh, like my son or daughter picks up the mantle and becomes <gasps> that you know what i mean like that'll be yeah. like the, that would be sick and my uh it's going my, my maid who i have an affair with and leave my whole money all my money to yeah that would be a solid dynamic i think i would like it <laughs> we'd like it in heaven baby scones are you going to heaven oh i don't know i'll think about it Maybe Valhalla, <laughs> if I die fighting Honestly? something. True. True. Seriously. Seriously, you guys. Tuning, Let's just say yourself. it's going to be a closed casket because my body will be unrecognizable. Yeah, Scones. Uh, <laughs> scones, we're going to play. Uh, what's it called? Um, what if I left that in my mean. will? I die like very normal death, but I tell the... The mortician, like, just smush it. <laughs> like, make it unrecognizable. <laughs> Look like I died in just a Just back that dump explosion. truck ass up. <laughs> um, oh, God. Oh, boy. The My family something. would be like, why did he do this? <laughs> <laughs> Looks like someone sat on a cake, but it's my son. <laughs> oh, no. Um, oh, yeah, my... <laughs> My handmaid that then becomes my wife would be, yeah, what a tale. heartbroken. Um, so we got 
this is going to be a two-part episode for sure. Yay, a double feature. A hashtag dubby fubby. A dubby fubby at the drive-in? Dude, Dubbis Fubbis and <laughs> Kathy O'Doolahan were at the drive-in the other night. They were getting handsy, bro. If we ever did a live show, we should do it at a drive-in movie theater. That'd be sick, actually. It would be so Wait, sick. Like an old oh horror movie drive-in That would be... But it's just us. <laughs> we have to figure out how to do all of the, the connections to the radios and all that. How they, how they figure that out. And how uh, we'd be able to all fit on stage. Like... You know what <laughs> Phil no, and here's, <laughs> here's what we should and do. Morbo. If we have Morbo, <laughs> guys, you forgot, but Morbo's here. <laughs> Sorry, uh, Morbo's here. The spider, Morbo. He keeps all the flies out of the studio. Um, I don't remember what he sounds like, but I, I mean, who knows what here. a spider sounds like anyway? <laughs> Morbo. <laughs> Morbo. He sounds like in a great mood today. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, he got it. I got a flyer, too. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks, Borbo. That's him scuttling away. Um, yeah, so I think what we should do if we have a live show is just walk out on stage with a boombox that has a pre-recorded episode that hasn't been released and just hit play and stand there in, like, sunglasses, and that's it. <laughs> that would be sick. Or we just sit down in leather chairs and read books, like or the paper. Ooh, Do not pay yeah, attention. Yeah. yeah, just like be their dad and just be sitting at a kitchen coffee table with a paper unraveled with our leg in a triangle position. You know what I mean? People would be you know so mad. Play? They'd be like, this was a live show. <laughs> and I'll be like, bitch, you paid us. <laughs> and we just go and give them what is quite literally not a live show. <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be, I mean, that would be great. Uh, okay, Scones. I need to. It's been six minutes, and <gasps> this is a lot. This is this article has at least like four hundred words at least. Oh my god, four hundred dubbies! I like kind of want to copy paste, put it into like a. Uh, you want to copy paste counter? It? Yo, huh? Um, I think <laughs> <laughs> so, Scones. Today, I gotta tell you a wild story that I have to give credit to my wife Jenny for finding. Oh, his wife. Uh, she was like, yo, you got to do this on a pod, big boy. And I was like, <laughs> oh, I forgot how cool you talked to me. Yeah, she talks to you so cool, dude. She's like, damn, big boy. And I was like, why are you talking like this? Uh, so this is, it's a New Yorker article by Ian Fraser titled The Maraschino Mogul. And the like, subtitle to- is After the Bees Turned Red. Arthur Mandela's cherry empire revealed its secrets. Did you just say Nelson Mandela made cherry secrets? <laughs> Honestly, I don't know how you found the password to my computer, but don't say that on my... <laughs> first first sentence ever. Uh, yeah, only time, time it's ever, ever been said. Yep. <laughs> and band, I hope you lubed up your tubers because we got to play us in for season four <gasps> of Monday, Mornday McCubdy. God damn. Same old theme, but it hits every season, baby. Same old theme, but a oh, little man. bit different. In the deep, Morbo. dark winter of season four. 
in the dirt, 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 dirt. Um, so let me begin, Sconey. Yes. Is, did Rick give you this article? Rick? Yeah, the skeleton that comes up from the no. floor portal. No, 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 no. Well, wait, well, I mean, I'm confused because Jenny gave me this. Well, no, I know she gave you the idea. I don't really know how Rick works. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm still Rick... figuring out his role other than award season. <laughs> like, who is, I mean... well, how is he, did he get a contract before we did? Listen, uh, I mean, I think when you're part skeleton, you get kind of like that, that skeleton bonus where like, yeah, uh, he's no got, pun intended. I think Rick's where... got friends in high places. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to say. Is that like other skeletons are friends with him? So like the band was like, "Yo, like he's cool." Yeah. So he's exactly. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's just like he's like the Pete Davidson of our podcast, where like he just kept getting signed. <laughs> but everyone was yes. like, "I don't know what he does," and he, even he is like, "I don't know." <laughs> Failing up, baby. Anyway, Ooh. Arthur Mandela Hold is on. born. I gotta take a sip are of this liquid death. Kidding. Take a sip of that liquid death. Uh-huh. No free sponsor. Liquid death. Mango chainsaw. Suck it down. Arthur Murray Mandela. Oops. Oh. I'm gonna let you finish. <laughs> <laughs> oh wait, no, he's never doing mind. good stuff. No, he's <laughs> yeah. no, no, yeah, let's talk about him more. Remember when that was the craziest thing you'd ever done? <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! People were like, "Whoa, that's so crazy!" Sorry. He worked with Daft Punk, and now it's like, "Uh oh." Yeah, now it's like bing, ding, 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 Last night, I had his dream about you. In this dream, I lost my all of my sponsorships. Arthur Mandela is mourned. Up until the moment of his death on February 24th, 2015, he ran his family's company. What? This is like, that was like yesterday. Yes, dude. Honestly, it's crazy. Kids who were born in 2015 can drive now. Isn't that so nuts? <laughs> uh, so he ran his family's company, Dell's Maraschino Cherries, in the Red Hook section of Brooklyn. His the Red Hook section? Yeah. Is it's it like, like the red light district. Slaughterhouses? For pirates. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. It's, yep. Uh, his daughter, oh, yeah. Dana. Or, that's true. Or, our. <laughs> His daughters, Dana Mandela-Bentz and Dominic Mandela, who run the company now, miss him every day. They remember him in their prayers and wish they could see how they've done with the business. Their great-grandfather, Arthur Mandela Sr., and their grandfather, Ralph, founded it in 1948. Dell's Maraschino Cherries processes and sells nothing but cherries, about 14 million pounds a year. That's a lot of cherries. Yeah, from its single Red Hook factory. Dana, the president they have and CEO, one factory that makes all those cherries. Yeah, it's it's just a giant cherry factory. Uh, oh my gosh! I, <laughs> I'm like, so like, if you ever had uh, a Shirley Temple, Shirley Temple, an old fashioned. Thank, thanks, Arthur Mandela. Uh, a Sunday, an ice cream. Uh, Sunday from its okay. So Dana, the president and CEO, is 30, and Dominic, the vice president, is 32. One might not expect that Mandela's death also would have sat in many of New York City's beekeepers, but it did. People in the beekeeping community, or their bees, had crossed paths with Mandela in 2010, less than five years before he died. In fact, the complications in Mandela's life that led to his demise 
had a minor but significant bee component. Wait, the f- so wait, are they beefing with the bees? Are the bees and the cherry people beefing? You're about to learn, my sweet child. I'm very excited. The first small signs that all was not right with him arrived buzzing in the air. Through circum- Though circumstances put Mandela and the bees on opposite sides of an issue, the beekeepers still speak admirably of him and express regret at his unhappy end. Here we go. Honorable. <laughs> yeah, the, he was a valiant foe. <laughs> the summer of 2010 was the hottest ever recorded in the city. By July, heat reflected from the pavement had scorched the leaves of street trees, creating a false, uncolorful fall. In gardens, blossoms dried and withered, and the weeds by highway entrances took on the appearance of twisted wire. As summer, as summer progressed, to add a further touch of the apocalyptic, bees returning to the end of the day to hives in Red Hook began to glow an incandescent red. Some spooky. Local bee- yeah, spooky, dude. Some local beekeepers found the sight of red bees flying in the sunset strangely beautiful. All of them had noticed that their honey was turning red, too. What's going on with the bees? Oh, they're making sweet and sour sauce. (laughs) Yep. What next, they wondered. Bees go through a lot. Colony collapse disorder, the decimation of entire hives. Uh, Let me read. The way I read that is not English. Bees. Based on what is. Okay. Colony collapse disorder, the decimation of entire hives, has been a worrisome problem worldwide. Pesticides, parasites, lack of flowers, and other forage, erratic weather, and disease have caused drastic declines in bee populations. Hornets sometimes get into a hive and eat bees, honey, honeycombs, and all. Hornets are assholes, dude. They really are. Because the red bees were city bees, nobody <gasps> took the sudden change in the... <laughs> these dang city bees. Did they have coffee um, and, like, big yeah, these, friend, like Yeah, exactly. Yeah. These city bee, These city-slicking bees. Uh, because the red bees were city bees, nobody took the <laughs> sudden change in the They had never worked a hard color. day in their life. <laughs> nobody took the sudden change in the color of their honey as a promising development. Until March of that year, it had not been legal to keep bees in the city. A few beekeepers had evaded the ban by camouflaging their hives with <laughs> hives with faux brick contact paper, or otherwise making them blend in with the rooftops. This illegal beekeeping in New York is a yeah, it's an epidemic, an amazing underground scene, man. <laughs> yeah, it's very um, what's the? It's very Breaking Bad. Yeah, you know, um, but instead of blue meth, it's red honey. Hey, are you team blue meth or team red honey? Oof. Oof. Mix them together. Oof. I call that a purple, purple. summer's delight, baby. <laughs> I see. So, the outlaws got a kick out of defying former mayor Rudolph Giuliani, who had been who had initiated the ban. Dude, talk I mean, about a guy who just melts such a in the weird, heat. You, you know that he got sung by a bee one day and was just like, "Okay, time to ruin things. <laughs> no more bees." <laughs> um. So, immediately after the Board of Health voted to lift it, the number of beekeepers multiplied. According to David Selig, a restauranteer who kept who began keeping bees on the roof of his Red Hook apartment in 2006, the number of hives in that area went from about three or more three to more than a dozen. In the summer's unprecedented heat, water and nectar became harder to find. So, we're setting the scene. So you're a city bee, right? You want you're water. Ci- you want yep. nectar. Yeah. Can't find it. That's can't find it. You're S O L. Rudy Giuliani took it from you. 
This is actually a Rudy Giuliani story. Judy Rugliani. <clears throat> Judy rules the palm tree. Judy rules the palm tree is my favorite politician. She'd have my vote. <laughs> yep. Amen. Coconut. At Added Value Farms, a public garden and compo- compositing site. Wow. And composting site in Red Hook, Tim O'Neill, who teaches biology in middle school and at Brooklyn College, looked into the problem. O'Neill also kept bees and writes a blog, Burrow Bees. Oh, Timmer! In it, he speculated that red honey might be connected to the nearby service depots for MTA buses and to a substance called ethylene glycol. Bees, pets, and children have been known to sample motor fluids that contain ethylene glycol. Just a bunch of bees and kids sucking down bus gas. (laughs) Yeah, it tastes sweet, apparently. So, like, oh, no. The Dude, city imagine is fiending for a hit of buzz place. juice. Yeah, it's so hot. You're just like, oh, I need some to... buzz juice. Yay, where's that bus juice? You're waiting in line behind a bunch of bees to get the suck down of the bus juice. Dude, I want to suck down some bus juice. Brooklyn right sounds crazy, dude. I don't know. Brooklyn in the house. <laughs> the results are sometimes fatal. <laughs> yeah. Without the bees. Yeah, I bet. I believe it. Don't. Hey, listener, don't drink bus juice. No bus juice for you. He thought the bees might be bringing back spilled transmission fluid or antifreeze from the from the depots, and he advised his fellow beekeepers not to taste any red honey until it had been tested. Please Mayo, Yeah, don't slurp down that red honey. Please. Un- Please, it's me, Tim O'Neill. Cherise Mayo, a food and farm consultant who kept bees both in the garden and on Governor's Island, just off the Red Hook shore. Wondered why her island bees separated from land by 600 yards of water. So she was like, why are my bees that are in a separate spot also producing red honey? (gasps) It can't be because there's no buses on that island. There's no bus juice on the island. So there's, it must be, I don't know, uh, Mountain Dew, Code Red, who knows? It's like how there's no snakes in Ireland. There's no, uh, there's no bus juice in this island. Exactly. Thank you to St. Bus Juice. No one is sure who first began to think of the cherry factory. Bees were observed flying in its direction and visiting puddles of red juice around it on the sidewalk. <laughs> Eating. <laughs> the... Sucking down red juice. Eating full Sundays. <laughs> in early September, O'Neill took chunks of honeycomb from hives in and near the garden, put them in 50 millimeter sample tubes, and mailed them to the state apiculturist. Apic... I don't know. I've never seen that word. Isn't uh, I'm assuming it's a someone who studies bees and beekeeping. Yes, a, I assume it's an so. Apiary too. is a, a beekeeping uh, apiculturist. Place, right? I guess I thought it was where you go and ape out, bro, and just Yo. yell. <laughs> Fucking go ape shit. <laughs> shit. Smash people's belongings. Drink all the bus juice. So they go to this apiculturist in Albany for testing. About a month later, he received the results. The honey tested positive for FD&C Red Number 40, a food-safe dye which is an ingredient of the maraschino syrup used by the Dell's factory. Oh, my gosh. In November. So the, the cherry Times- boys are turning the bees red. Yeah, exactly. It's a, hash- it's a classic hashtag cherry boy story. In November, the Times broke the story which ran on the front page under the headline, In Mystery and Culture Clash, Some Brooklyn Bees Turn Red. Cherise Mayo was quoted voicing her duress that her bees were getting their honey from the syrup. Because her name sounded possibly made up and her first name means cherry in French, <laughs> a, Times, a Times researcher had called her to make sure this was real. 
The story considered the problem in the context of the gentrification of Red Hook, which the factory standing for the old neighborhood and the beekeepers for the new. What the side are you of, on, Nurse? Um, I'm like an old money guy because, like, trust funds. Let's go. <laughs> let's get it. So let's get it. <laughs> I wish I had a trust fund. It would be so cool. It'd be so sick, dude. Life would be way easier. I wish I had found out I got a a trust fund now. I wish I didn't always have it. Yes. That way I didn't turn into a piece of shit, but like... Yeah. If you're listening, you have a trust fund, you're a piece of shit. Probably are. (laughs) Probably are. Prove me wrong. Sorry. Stop poisoning the bees. Yeah, prove us wrong. Send us money. (laughs) That's the only way to prove us wrong. how big that trust fund is. (laughs) The story considered the problem in the context of the gentrification of Red Hook with a factory standing for old neighborhood, beekeepers for the new. The ideas of the Red Bees somehow clicked with readers, and scores of news outlets picked up the story. David Selig, whom it also mentioned, turned on his computer the morning the story came out and found 3,000 emails from people I'd never heard of and from everybody I knew. How red are the bees? They're iridescent. That's pretty, like, it's It's kind of cool. It's like shiny Pokemons. Yeah, it's dope. I wish I had one. <laughs> uh, scones, get me one for my birthday. I'm going to start giving my dog just tons of red dye and see if she's yeah. glowing. I'm going to slug down maraschino cherries until he looks like the Flash without his freaking human's part. What? That's the worst part uh, of the Flash. <laughs> Berry, baby. The Times story contained no quotes from Arthur Mandela, who had not returned phone calls asking for comment. It noted that Mandela had been in touch with Andrew Cote, the founder of the New York City Beekeepers Association, to try to find a solution. Cote, or Cote, it's probably Cote. Cote. Is the, Cote is the most famous beekeeper in New York. He keeps <laughs> bees at the top of a penthouse. <laughs> he sounds like he, I don't know him, so this is just totally don't take this for any of anything, but he sounds like he could very well be a very pretentious person. <laughs> Yeah, probably. He's like, I, probably. You know who I am? I'm the most famous I'm, beekeeper in New York City. <laughs> I'd be like, you still have to pay for gas. <laughs> you can't just like, drink it. Yeah, you can't just drink the buzz juice. You have to pay for a ticket. So, he keeps bees in several city states, including on the grounds of the UN, and sells New York City honey at the Union Square Green Market. He is a handsome, hazel-eyed man of French-Canadian per- parentage, with a suave black beard going gray. What is happening? <laughs> it's is an erotic an author sleeping with this king? <laughs> I the think it was written by York. him. Oh. This, yeah, it's probably he's like this really handsome super hottie. Super hottie. Super hottie. The most famous beekeeper in the world. <laughs> super rich, well chiseled jawline and beekeeper. <laughs> Great sense of humor. <laughs> really cool person. Most likely to be famous in high school. <laughs> Cote's life has included many adventures, such as hanging upside down 19 stories above Times Square to remove a swarm of bees from a window washer stanchion with a special low-suction bee vacuuming device he built himself. So this dude's like, like, he really likes bees. <laughs> yeah, he's he's looking, for, and it, it, you know, is does he have his queen, though? <gasps> Shit. Shit. Uh, we don't know. We don't know. We don't know. And securing hives on a roof at the request of Secret Service agents who planned to position snipers there and did not want to get any bees into the snipers' ears. Which is crazy. I mean, it's probably a good call, though. I've never seen I feel like they would have just, like, walked up. I, well, you know, I've done my share of political assassinations and usually just knock the beehive off the top of the roof. 
just shoot it off. You snipe the bees first. Yeah, you, yeah you're like, I got to take this one out. <laughs> I've got the, the shot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the red honey tasted terrible, by the way, Kote told me one afternoon at his market stall. It was sickly sweet, kind of metallic tasting and watery. But after the story went all over the place online, I could have sold a ton of it. I had dozens of customers asking for it. <laughs> I could and have poisoned red... everybody. <laughs> and all that red honey ended up being thrown out, and those beekeepers lost a season of production. He showed me a few vials of the red honey and he had ke- that he had kept as souvenirs. <gasps> I really liked Arthur Mandela, Cote went on. Arthur was genuine, a true Brooklyn guy, and he had that accent. I think he's got a crush, dude. Uh, that's what I'm hearing. That's what I'm hearing. That's what I'm hearing. Out of the blue, before the newspaper story, he got in touch with about the bee situation and asked me to come to the factory. I didn't go until right after the story appeared. I knew there would be a lot of reporters around, so I asked if there could be an er- really early, like 5 a.m., he said. I will make it my business to be there. I'll always remember that. I showed him how to put some screens up, make the lids of his bins tighter, control the spills. It was not a difficult adjustment at all, and we solved the problem. Afterwards, I sent him an invoice for my services. He paid it, and that was that. Throughout the whole thing, he was a gentleman. No other beekeeper dealt as extensively with Mandela. All were grateful for his level-headed response. We had been legal for less than a year, Selig said. Wow. He could have made a fuss about why he had to deal with all these local bees. We appreciated that his first reaction wasn't to call the exterminator. Meanwhile, also taking an interest in the story, the authorities saw an opportunity. According to later news reports, there had been rumors starting in 2009 that Mandela was growing marijuana. Uh-oh. Uh... Bum, bum, bum. Law enforcement hoped that the attention being directed at the cherry factory might reveal more about what went on inside it. Quiet inquiries were made about the factory's floor, pr- floor plan. Blah. Arthur Ralph Mandela was named after his grandfather Arthur and his father Ralph. The family comes from Naples, though Ralph was born in America. In Italy, Arthur Sr. had been a baker and wanted to get out of that business because he did not like working seven days a week. Who does? He and Exactly. He and Ralph began making maraschino cherries in a small <laughs> factory. Trying to be a baker. You, like you know who has it sweet? <laughs> maraschino guys. Those goddamn guys. cherry guys. <laughs> That's the game I got to get into. <laughs> He and Ralph began making maraschino cherries in a small factory on Henry Street in Carroll Gardens. The cherries, which traditionally embellish ice cream sundaes and cocktails, were not steeped in maraschino, the Italian wild cherry liqueur. Instead, the Mandelas used a secret recipe involving sugar, citric acid, red coloring, and a curing process that never subjected the fruit to hot water. No hot water in those chair bars? I know. Dude, Dude, the chair bars were chilling cool, dude. The cold water only cold approach preserved bears, dude. <laughs> the ch- cold water only approach preserved the cherries crunch, the family says. I don't I, know <laughs> if that's I love good. crunchy cherries. <laughs> I like my cherries like I like my granola bars. Crunchy. I want them crunchy and I want just dust everywhere. So oh, yeah, you just open a bag of Nature Valley and it's like, oops, yeah, all crumbs. Like, hope I'm in your car, bro. All of the production was small batch and hand done. The hours turned out to be just as long as those in the bakery. Sick. Oh no, man! The sweet, the rip. sweet promises of the cherry game. Hey, just they pull you in out. with their crunchy outer textures. 
It's basic. Like they thought it was going to be like the four hour work week. Yeah, exactly. Sweet, sweet cherry game. Arthur, the second American generation of the family. This of uh, the Arthur of the second American right. generation of the family was born in 1957. He grew up in Bay Ridge, attended Zavarian High School, and got a full scholarship to New York University. Oh, After whoa, gradu- NYU. Yeah, dude, smart dad, yeah, dude. He's going to find out he's like going to be a DJ or something. Yep. After graduating with a degree in finance, he went to Wall Street, where he found a <laughs> job with an investment firm. He did not want to work in the cherry factory at all. Oh. But in 1983, his father had a heart attack. And Arthur set aside his financial career to take over the company. Arthur Sr. was long dead by then. When Arthur the grandson examined with an ex-Wall Streeter's eye the company he had inherited, he saw room for improvement. In the 1970s, Ow. it had, I don't know. It doesn't That's seem the, we can get better. Well, we don't have the Wall Streeter's eye, dude. True. Um, <clears throat> in the 1970s, it had moved from Carroll Gardens to Dykeman Street in Red Hook. Mandela set about expanding that location into two adjacent buildings, and eventually the factory occupied a total floor space of 38,000 square feet. That's a lot of nuts. That's a lot of feet. Feet nuts. He scaled up what had been essentially a mom-and-pop operation. His mother and sister Joanne worked there too, but he ran the show, increasing production capacity and acquiring large-volume food service clients. In 2014... He made a $7 million investment in automation so that one day the place would, quote, run itself, as he told his daughters. Ah, finally, Dis- the promise. The Finally, the promise of not a seven-day work week. Despite automating, he wanted to keep his human workforce intact. By all accounts, he cared about his employees. Lots of ex-offenders had jobs at Dell's. The Red Hook House, a nearby local low-income housing project, supplied him with workers who needed a paycheck. Mandela was known for giving salary advances and loans whose repayments were not vigorously pursued. Good guy. He hi- Good guy. He hired a homeless man, provided him an, ad- an advance for a deposit, and let him use a company truck to move into a new apartment. Gang tattoos could be seen on the muscular, maraschino red-stained arms of the guys on the floor. Uh-oh, what if they're Crips? Yo, that's such a good point. Yeah. Oh, my God. I'm an intellectual. I think about stuff. The most commonly used new f- news photo of Mandela shows him leaning into a cherry processing machine. Small and <laughs> His ser- arm getting ripped <laughs> off. <laughs> His head destroyed into a cherry pulp. Ah, just like Small. I hope to be someday. <laughs> One day, flat that, flatten that cake and send him on his way. It's the scones funeral hour. Small and serious looking behind the mass of bright red cherries in the foreground. He's wearing a white lab coat and plastic shower cap covers his hair. He was a slim man, not tall, with dark eyes and a seamed, careworn face. He used colorful language, according to several accounts. In his office, he had a video monitor that showed every f- that showed the factory floor, and when he saw something going wrong, he would appear suddenly and yell at those responsible. Unless he was meeting a customer, he dressed in jeans and a t-shirt, but he always wore white sneakers. He asked for new pairs every year from his family for Christmas. Aww. He always ended up getting red stains on his white shoes, and he went through a lot of them. Why does he keep wearing white shoes? Because that's the game, baby. He just, he sounds <laughs> like he's asking for them to get stained, just like... Listen, scones? Yes. You can't blame a man for wanting his white J's, bro. True. Coming down, using his colorful language. Colorful language, colorful shoes. Comes that's down, the... someone's messing up, he just yells at them, Fuchsia! <laughs> 
<laughs> oh man, that's the. Joke. He lived on Staten Island, <laughs> in a distant in a distant neighborhood called Graniteville, until he and his and his uh, until he and the girl's mother divorced. Dominic and Dana and their mother stayed in Graniteville, and Mandela moved back to Brooklyn, where he eventually married a Ukrainian woman. They had a daughter, Antoinette, who was more than twenty <laughs> Wait, years younger. Wait, does the woman get a name? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> who is nope not at all some you can't <laughs> author's like really bitter because she loved this guy and was talking about how handsome <laughs> he was she's like he married yeah, some right. ukrainian broad some i don't know some sleazy ukrainian <laughs> oh no <laughs> like yikes can't say that he said it on me um later mandela divorced again and moved in with his new girlfriend but during all this time he spent most of his life at the factory dominic and dana went both went to more catholic high school on staten island Great. Good. Da- da- I'm going to skip that paragraph. Please do. I'm just kidding. I don't to know what it's about. Juice. It contains juice? Yeah. We're, no, we're, I'm getting to the juice. Ooh, See, this is all like juice. setting the stage. You know setting the stage for a bunch of cherry people fighting a bunch of bee people. So Dana goes on to talk about her dad. <gasps> he didn't have hobbies. Dana he dad? wasn't into sports. Dana dad. He wasn't into sports. He was into movies. A movie buff. When we were little kids, my parents were divorced, so he would pick us <laughs> up and we'd go to Blockbuster and we'd pick out a bunch of movies and just watch movies. I want to be the next Quentin Tower Tato. He used to cook these huge barbecues for us and I'd be like, Dad, there's only four of us. We could have had a meal like this for like 25 people. He was really into movies, his other daughter said. <laughs> I wish that was like his whole thing. <laughs> no, really. No, I don't think you understand. He's obsessed with movies. He was really specific in what he liked, Dominic said. If he had a salad, it had to be the it had to be only oil and vinegar on it. <laughs> it had to be or only cherries. Wa- <laughs> <laughs> cherries salads for everybody at my barbecue. <laughs> um, or if he wanted to have this brand of rice, it had to be this specific brand of rice. Potato chips always had to be crinkle cut. This dude sounds like an yeah. asshole. Fine, <laughs> <laughs> gave well, this dude a bag of chips. He's like. Those aren't the right ones. I just want These to chips go are watch not... a French movie. <laughs> like, Have you seen The Departed? Also, crinkle cut fra- <laughs> or potato chips, please. The rat at the end symbolizes a rat. In my factory that I will crush under my white Nikes. Dana described going on an errand to buy her father bread. So I drive from Staten Island to Brooklyn. Right. The 13th Ave, where my dad wanted me to get the bread. Awful traffic. So I call him. I'm like, Dad, I can't find a bakery. He's like, What? You don't know where you don't know where it is on the thirteenth Avenue? Click. Click. So I found the bakery on Fourteenth Avenue. So I get to his apartment. Yeah. He breaks the bread open and he's like, This isn't from thirteenth Avenue, you this is from Fourteenth Avenue. Oh my god. And I'm like, How does this guy even know? How does he know? Listen, Tone. No trains go to Staten Island. Remember that. <laughs> so So the smell of maraschino cherries, not unpleasant but eye-wateringly strong, fills the factory, and the floors remain sticky, even though they're constantly mopped. Ew. Sometimes Everyone just has to walk around feeling like Spider-Man? Spider-Man's stucky, sticky factory. Sometimes neighbors in apartments overlooking the building caught a few whiffs of marijuana along with the cherries. <gasps> David Selig thought the smell of pot might be the result of workmen smoking it on their brakes. 
Later news stories said that a postal employee had told authorities that marijuana was being grown on the premises. Wow, what a narc. <laughs> yeah, big narc energy. Big narc mailman of all people. Dude, big narc, big narc candy mountain? Big uh, narc candy mountain. <laughs> my favorite roller coaster. <laughs> but the police had failed to find, a sus- find suspicious signs. An increase in energy consumption consistent with the use of grow lights had not been detected, possibly because the factory had its own gasoline-powered generators and a drug-sniffing dog had not been able to discover a definitive scent of marijuana. Because of all the cherries, you think? Is it because of the cherries? Yeah, it's probably... He's like, these are these are crunchy cherries. I can't smell nothing. Uh, independently, environmental investigators acting on a tip began to look at the possible violations in the dumping of water from the cherry manufacturing process into the sewer. Meanwhile, the Brooklyn's DA office more or less forgot about the marijuana investigation. I was going to say, why is the government so out to get this cherry company? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Inquiry into what might be going on at the cherry factory did not proceed much beyond rumor and speculation. The heightened attention caused by the B episode had increased the factory's visibility. In 2013, Brooklyn elected a new DA, Kenneth Thompson, who set out to clean up pollution in the borough. Kenny T.? Yep, his office decided to take a look at some stalled environmental cases. Well, Scones? Yeah? I'm going to cut us off there because we're about to get into the investigation of the cherry factory. Oh and what ha- and the, gosh. Is it going to get macabre? The, sad, the macabre demise of Arthur Mendola. Oh, no. But this is the opener... The part oh, one man. of the cherry uh, maraschino mogul I can't believe and his sad demise. We love our listeners so much that we give them a, a big double trouble right off the bat. Big dubby trubby with my dad off the, the bat. Of Monday morning macabre. In the winter of Monday morning macabre. Listeners, you're going to have to just keep your ears peeled for next week's episode <gasps> when we find out what happens to the maraschino mogul himself, Arthur Mandela, and why these red bees. Be big narcs. Why they be big narcs? Why these red bees big narcs? Until then, gang, keep your butts loaded and your pants fried because this baby is going to the moon. I feel like that, like a guitar riff needs to happen after that. <laughs> <laughs> nope, <laughs> just us. <laughs> exactly. And uh, tell your friends. And if you don't tell your friends, and like us on uh, the iTunes and the Spotify's. But and if you want to get special bonus material. Join Check out Patreon. Patreon. You're gonna, there's going to be a dubby bubby for the Patreonis coming up uh, in the following yep. weeks. Uh, so a dubby Patreon. If you bubbies. like these dubby bubbies, then subby. Keep your yeah subby for the dubby bubbies, and keep your ears peeled for the sad stuff that's about to come up. We keep you on your toes, and I love you. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye.